0: No auditions today, but we are starting a new series called American Idols, and we're going to look at some things that we as Americans idolize, and so we're going to sort of start today in Exodus chapter 32. We're going to look at the story of, of the building of the golden calf, and so you, you might think, man, that's kind of old, and how, what does that have to do with us? Well, hopefully, I'll help us connect the dots a little bit, um, but let's start. The best way I can, uh, or maybe not the best way, one of the better ways I've, I've heard to describe what it means to, to fall into idolatry, to, to worship something other than God, is this. Um, if you get email, and many of us have email, probably all of us, sometimes you get unsolicited emails that you don't know that you signed up for. So sometimes I get those like, you know, cruising for a jacuzzi, uh, which is, uh, anytime there's bad poetry, I'm not going to look at it. Uh, vacation on Mars. Um, jet lag would be horrible, so I'm going to go, No. Uh, don't wear last year's styles. If I didn't wear last year's styles, I wouldn't have any clothes. So um, so there's they, they, you get stuff like that, and it's like, I don't really want to get that anymore. So if you get emails like this, and you don't want to get it anymore, there's a magic button on the bottom of, of the screen. What's it called? Unsubscribe. That's right. So if I don't want to get it anymore, do not receive emails from us, I just hit the magical button, unsubscribe. And that sort of then, it ends my relationship with whatever that company is. And again, I don't always know where it comes from. Now, in my relationship with God, sometimes I hit the unsubscribe button. God will tell me something in Scripture. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, he'll, the Bible says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's the golden rule. We're supposed to treat people well. But some people, I just don't want to treat well. And so there are times when I just say, you know, I know, God, what you want me to do, but I really don't want to do that. Unsubscribe. I unsubscribe to that particular thing he wants me to do. Or uh, the Bible teaches us to be selfless, you know, to give ourselves up for others. But sometimes I want to do something selfish. And when I do that, it's basically me unsubscribing from what God wants me to do. And when I unsubscribe from God's will, that's called Idolatry. Now, when we think of the word idolatry, a lot of times we think of you know uh, primitive people with a bone through their nose bowing down to a, a, a rock uh, someplace in the in the jungle. But idolatry is more than that. In the Bible, it's the number one numero uno problem that they discuss. Over a thousand texts deal with idolatry. Over fifty of the the laws that are in the scriptures are about. Idolatry, when you get the Ten Commandments, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first couple are about how we worship God and don't make a graven image and all that is about about idolatry. Because we have this tendency to worship something and if we're not careful, we'll worship the wrong things. And even in the New Testament, you, we kind of think, well, that's all Old Testament stuff and today we're going to be in the Old Testament, but... It's more than that. Even in the New Testament, Paul went to a town called Athens and the Greeks had millions of gods, it seemed like. They had gods every place. And there was Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. And there was Ares, the goddess of war. And Artemis, the goddess of fertility. And, and there was Demeter, who was the goddess of, of the harvest. And so there were all these gods and goddesses all around. and And the Bible deals with it often. Now, I'm going to show you a slide of a text here Do me a favor and and look down at verse 14 first, okay? Can you do that for me? I'm not going to put it up there unless you tell me you're going to do it. 14, okay, we're going to look at 14. So 14, let me use my pointer right there. Let's start there. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of false gods as you can. All right, so let's go back up. When they say therefore, you always look and see what it's there for, okay? It's kind of a, a goofy little thing that we do. But why are we supposed to flee from the worship of false gods? Okay. So the answer is in verse 13. Therefore, uh, I'm sorry, there isn't any temptation that we have experienced which is unusual for humans. We all kind of experience the same stuff. God who faithfully keeps His promises will not allow you to be tempted beyond your power to resist. Really good news, by the way. That's really, really good news. But when you're tempted, He will also give you the ability to endure the temptation and, uh, as your way of escape and then therefore flee from worship of false gods I'm talking to intelligent people. I love that. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. Three things, really, I want you to notice here. One is temptation and idols go together. We're tempted to do something. We're tempted for our hearts to go after something other than God. It happened then. It happened before then. It happens now. We have a temptation to go after something other than the one true God. The second thing it says here that I want you to notice is when it says in verse 15, I'm talking to intelligent people. It is wise of us to know this. Hey, I I might be tempted to do the wrong thing. Um, It's good to know yourself. I know myself. When I get really tired, I am much more snarky, kind of sassy. And so I have to know that. I know that about myself. And so if I'm really tired and somebody does something or if somebody says something, I, I know this is probably a really good time to not say anything. You know, This is good for me. I, I have to know myself. And so he's saying, listen, there's a temptation. There are temptations in the world that will lead us away from God if we're not careful. And, and maybe the best news about this is you don't have to give in to idolatry. That, that's just not... Something that we have to do. So, um, temptation and I always go together. Uh, I have to understand myself. I've got to self-assess. And I also don't have to give in to idolatry. Now, in today's world, we're bombarded with messages about happiness and fulfillment. and, And usually, it goes something like this. Completeness or happiness is only something else away. You need one more thing away. And so you fill in the gap. It it might be, um, you need a new device. You have an old device. You have an iPhone 72. But the new iPhone 73 just came out, right? And so there'll be a line of people to get the iPhone 73 that does one thing different. Or two or ten, doesn't matter. Uh, Does a lot of new stuff, you know. This one has... Nuclear launch sequence. I don't know. It's got a lot of stuff on it. And you get in line with because I can't be complete or happy if I don't have iPhone 73. Or, or it could be um, happiness is found uh, in, in romance. I need, a, I need a boyfriend. I need a girlfriend. And so that's why there are a billion uh, dating websites because I can't be complete without another person right? I, I'm not good enough the way I am, that kind of thing. Or it, it, lots, you put lots of things in there. Um, I'm a new car away. I'm a, I'm a, a better body away. I'm, there's a lot of things that we're told this is what's going to make you complete. And we live in a remarkably discontented society. In fact, there are marketers working right now to try to figure out how to make you discontent with something you have so that you will fill in the gap with whatever they are selling. They want you to fill in this gap with what they have that's why you get those unsolicited emails they want you to fill in this gap with what they have Now, there's a guy named Paul, he wrote much of the New Testament and he writes this amazing thing I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I've been up and I've been down Um, I've been down and I've been up I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We know verse 13, but sometimes we forget that verse 12 precedes it. I, I know what it is to be content. I can be content. And whether I have plenty or I have wants, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm not going find to my, find my value or my happiness or my completeness in something else. But we're constantly told you need something else and in every culture there were shrines to to different gods and today we have shrines to different gods and they look like it could be an office complex and and the god for the the, some people is my work I I need to work and or I find my value in my work or I find my value in a relationship or I find my value there's lots of places you can find your value now Kyle Eidelman who wrote a book called Um, God's at War, great book by the way. He says an idol is something we sacrifice for and something we pursue. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some different idols. Let me kind of, I'll show you kind of what it looks like to see, hey, here's an idol found in Scripture. Uh, In Colossians it says, so put to death the, the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And so sex can be an idol, and it can get a hold of you, and it can take over. And then he goes on to say this same, same text, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, and so money can be an idol for us. Approval can be an idol for us. We're going to look at a guy today, I think approval was his idol. And so we have to ask the question, what might cause a person to not follow the, the true God? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 32. If you have your, even on your phone or whatever, Exodus 32, let me set up the situation. you got a guy named Moses. Moses delivered the, uh, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. The, uh, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And God raises Moses up, and through uh, miraculous events, Moses is able to lead the people out of Egypt toward the promised land. They're wandering in the wilderness, but they're toward the promised land. And as they journey together, the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai. And this is where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. Moses went up and down that mountain several times, by the way. And, And so the idea was Moses was going to go up there and then come back down, but he took a long time. Have you ever have, have you ever had like in your mind it wasn't going to take very long but it took a long time like you go you go to the store and you tell you know I'm I'm going to go get a can of corn but then you get there and you you see the the clearance aisle and so you're there for a while I mean it happens sometimes uh, it happened with Gilligan you remember you know he's going to take a three hour tour and uh, they they got stuck so uh, things like that happen this was sort of a Gilligan moment uh, for Moses he gets on the mountain uh, forty days and forty nights he's gone and so the people get restless now. It's uber ironic here. These are people who had just seen God do amazing things, right? I mean, just think about it. They'd been enslaved for 400 years, 420 years. They cry out to God. They'd cried out and cried out and cried out, and God eventually did something about their cries. Um, They'd seen the 10 plagues. And if you'll read through the 10 plagues, you know, there were gnats and there were frogs and... And then the last plague was the killing of the firstborn and, and they had seen all of this, and there had been Passover, and they had been delivered, and it was amazing and and the Egyptians had had run them out of the country and they they're escaping, and then the Egyptians change their mind and they get to the Red Sea and Moses holds his hand up in the Red Sea parts and they had escaped and then the, the Egyptians get into the Red Sea and it collapses on them and are, his enemies are defeated. God miraculously has done these amazing things and they get in the wilderness and they don't have food and God provides manna and every morning they wake up and there's this stuff on the ground that they're able to collect and eat. And the Bible tells us that God led the Egyptian, uh, no, I'm sorry, the Israelites through the wilderness with a, a pillar of cloud by day was sort of we need that today because it's hot, and uh, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night, and and so these are people who had seen God do amazing things. I mean, it's like amazing things, and this is what happens. This is what they do. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Now, Aaron is Moses' right-hand man. It's his brother. Uh, He's the one that's supposed to be kind of a um, second in charge, a leader. They gathered Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now, at the very moment... And you'll, this maybe makes sense to you. It's like, well, how can they, how can they do that? They've just seen all these great things. Well, let's back up just a little bit. Because look at what ha- what's happening on top of the mountain where Moses is. Look at this text. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. That's a big deal, by the way. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. When you hear the words consuming fire, what do you think about it consumes, right? It's like Moses is a goner. And then Moses entered the cloud, and as he went up on the mountain, he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And so, there's irony in this, but also it kind of makes sense. At the very moment that they turn their kind of turn their backs on God, God is visible. He's on the mountain, you know? He... It's a, there's a, like a, a, a consuming fire. They can see this, and yet they don't know what to do with it. And so, their fear overwhelms their faith. And that can happen to us. There can be a time where our fear overwhelms our faith, or, or we get bored. There's a lot of reasons. There's reasons for us. To, to drift away from God. and Typically, we don't just step out. We can sort of drift. And the big idea is it's easy to stray. It's easy to drift from following God. And remember, the Bible tells us, flee from the worship of false gods. We're not supposed to do this. So why don't we answer the question, what makes an idol? What does it look like? What would it look like for me and you today? Because we can look at this story, but it'll apply to our story. And first, the first thing that that makes an idol an idol is there's always a cost. There's always a cost. Aaron answered them, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Bring me stuff. Bring me some gold. I need something to work with. I need need, need uh, some materials here. And Aaron took what they had handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool debate about what this was. Did he make a solid gold idol or did he make something out of wood and overlay it with gold? I mean, it really doesn't matter. None of that really matters. He made an idol for them. And I've often, it, this just, it, I'm a little flummoxed by this because you got Aaron who has seen, in fact, not only did he see the great things God did, he was beside Moses when Moses did these great things, these plagues. And and he was there when 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 Moses got the word that there was going to be manna. And he was there when the Red Sea was parted. And and he was there. He was just there for everything. And now all of a sudden, Moses isn't there any longer. The leader isn't there. And he gives in, I think, to approval addiction, to peer pressure. There's always a cost. Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And and the cost isn't always financial, although typically there is a financial element to this. It could be relational. It can be a relational issue. Listen, I've got a cousin who lost her job because of an addiction, which was, became an idol to her. She, she wanted that more than anything else. And it became her idol. And she lost her job, and eventually she lost her life to this idol. I've got another cousin who went to prison because of an addiction. And he subsequently passed away because of an addiction, an idol in his life. I got another cousin who's in jail right now, by the way. Uh, and we don't have a black sheep; we got a black herd. I mean, that's kind of my family, you know. There's one preacher and a bunch of bootleggers. I mean, that's kind of how it goes. Um, but it's it's not, it's it, it's not difficult to drift away from the true God. Every one of those cousins of mine I'm talking about, they were raised in Christian homes. Their mamas and daddies are heartbroken when this happens. I've got a cousin right now that's in jail and when she gets out, she she has no teeth because she did meth. She's 26 years old, she has no teeth. It's an idol. Nobody wants to be around her because when she gets out, she'll steal you blind. You, You cannot, I mean if she's in the room, you watch her. because she'll steal from you, because this idol has gotten the best of her. And that's an extreme example, but it's still an example. See, I think of addiction, I think of idolatry a lot like kudzu. You know kudzu, right? Everybody in the South knows kudzu. This was introduced into America in the 1870s. The railroad wanted to put it in to help with erosion. Today, kudzu is taking over at a rate of 150,000 acres a year. It just grows and grows. It's easy to get started, but now it's hard to stop. This is what addiction looks like. This is what idolatry looks like. It's easy to get into it, and we're thinking to ourselves, "Oh, there's not. This not that bad, you know. I'm doing it to help erosion. <laughs> well, uh, it ain't helping erosion no more. I mean, it's it's taken over. It costs Americans about five hundred thousand dollars a year just to handle it. This is what happens with addiction, with idolatry. A lot of times, it's easy to get into, it's hard to get out of. So the first thing is, that we have to understand, is there's always a cost. The second thing is, it often reflects culture. I'm going to tell you something that you might not know. Hold on just for a second. So verse 2, hey, give me your, give me your, your golden stuff. Uh, verse 3, so all the people took off their earrings and brought it to him. Verse 4, he took what they had handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf fashioned with a tool. Now, the Egyptians had lots of gods, lots of gods. And the Israelites had just come out of Egypt, so they were familiar with lots of gods. And the, and the calf, the, the bull calf, so it, it was a symbol of strength and virility and, and power. This was the god in, in Egypt, Apis. That was the name of the god. They, they knew that god. And, and so they were saying, we want a god that represents power. Because listen, if you, it's like if a sports team. If you have a sports team, you don't want a wimpy mascot. I mean, you want one that represents power, right? Look, look at this, wimpy mascots. Uh, this is uh, the Chinook Sugar beets. Are you scared to play them? What are they going to do to you? I mean, really, uh, it looks like these are beaters. I mean, that is just, that is the most pathetic, oh, but there's worse. This is the Polka West Virginia Dots. The polka dots. Y'all, y'all scared of them? Ain't nobody scared of the polka dots. There's the Frankfurt hot dogs. Y'all afraid of that? Frankfurt hot dogs? Ain't nobody afraid of Frankfurt hot dogs. Tell me what this is. New Berlin, what are they? The pretzels. What are you going to do, choke on them? I mean, uh, they, they, you're not afraid. Now, here's my favorite one. I say my favorite for last. And I'm just going to say, you can put the word mighty in front of it, and it doesn't make it bad, Okay. The Mighty Bunnies. I mean, nobody afraid to play no Mighty Bunnies. I mean, you know, Coach, where are you? Coach Turn, are you in here? Would you be afraid to play the Mighty Bunnies? You'd kill the Mighty Bunnies, yeah, because kill the Mighty Bunnies. All right, so the Israelites went with a mascot to represent God. Now, there are theologians who say they really were still trying to worship God. They just wanted a mascot. They wanted a visual, because when they were in Egypt, they saw visuals, and it's difficult to follow a holy God who isn't present or at least doesn't you can't always see him, maybe he doesn't feel present and so this represented god's strength it just didn't it didn't represent his holiness and so. It's, it was a, just a cheap substitute. And, and even though even though the first commandment says, don't make a graven image, they did it anyway. Uh, then they said, these are your gods. Th- this is it. And they had been told not to do this. First commandment, don't have an image. It's Like, well, but we need an image. So we are going to get an image. That's kind of what they did. We, we need... An image. This is the husband who buys his wife a fishing rod because he likes to go fishing. I, I'm going to give you a gift for me. I'm going to worship you the way I want to, not the way you want me to. I, I'm going to give you, I'm I, I'm the kid who gives his mom candy on Mother's Day and then eats it all. Right? Uh, that's what this is. I'm going to worship you the way that is comfortable for me. Not exactly what you have prescribed because really i want to do it the way i want to do it it reflects the culture the third thing is this it's usually pleasure driven interesting watch this Aaron built an altar in front of the calf and, and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the lord again they're trying to trying to make them work together so the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And revelry there means wild Las Vegas Bourbon Street type revelry. This wasn't just um, streamers and um, you know uh, fireworks. This this was. Um, this was sexual deviant. Here's, what, here's why. When you worshipped the gods of Egypt, the reason you worshipped those gods was you were worshipping gods mostly for fertility. You wanted the ground to produce. If you're living hand to mouth and it is important for you that your crops survive or that your cattle produce more cattle, then you your prayer is to whatever God you're praying to, I want this to produce. And so it was convenient for them to to equate sexual activity on their part with what they wanted the gods to do, they wanted the gods to reproduce. It, It is what it is. And here's what I, I don't know a lot about hunting. I've really not hunted much, but I do know this. I, I watch I watch mountain men, so I know a lot. Um, I'm practically I'm practically a mountain man myself. Um, when you're tracking game, there's there's usually a trail because they go the same way all the time. It's called a game trail. It's the path of least resistance. They the game kind of figure out the the path of least resistance, and that's what we do. See, I, I know like. Uh, <laughs> If you go to the gym, there's a slogan, no pain, no gain. But we really like if it feels good, do it. No pain, no gain, that's tough. If it feels good, do it. We kind of like that a little better. And what they're doing here is called syncretism. What they want is they want to worship God the way they want to worship Him. In a, in a way that uh, is, it, it pleases them. The problem is God often asks us to do difficult things. And so syncretism looks like this today. You'll hear people say something like, I would never serve a God who would ask me to, or keep me from... But God always asks us to do stuff we don't want to do. Because naturally, we're going to naturally go toward ourselves. Look at what Jesus said. He said, "Um, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, denying yourself... It's not doing the easy thing. That's doing the tough thing. Taking up your cross, not the easy thing. That's the tough thing. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Rough translation of this verse. No pain, no gain. The fourth thing about idols. We make excuses for them. Look at what it says here. <laughs> Bless little Aaron's heart, everybody. What do we say in the South? Bless his heart when he's really stupid. That's we all ought to say it for Aaron. Bless his heart. He's trying to get out of this, and you. It, it is just really sad and pathetic. Watch. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Go down because your people." I love this verse. Your people. Did your mom ever do this? Remember before cell phones, mom, you do something bad, and mama would say, "You just wait till your daddy gets home." You wait till your daddy gets home. So, then when daddy got home, mama would say, you will not believe what your son has done now. That's why my mama talks. Uh, you will not, unless mom, you're listening, and then your, your voice is angelic. Because uh, she does, she watches sometimes. Um, you will not believe what your people are up to. That's what he's saying. The, your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, they've become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, little old Aaron, bless his heart. Look what he does. Look what he does. Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you would lead them into such great sin? What what in the world... Are you thinking? That's what he's saying right here. Aaron, oh, bless his heart. Do not be angry with me, Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. These people. Now, sure, I fashioned the calf, but they are the reason. They said to me, make us gods that will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought you up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Bro, they were talking bad about you. It, 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 I, I did it, you know, I did it, I just sort of did it. Uh, I just did it. Then, so the first excuse is they made me do it. Second excuse, oh, by the way, that's a nice That's good. That's good. I'm not going to give it to you. Second excuse, it was a miracle. So I told them, whatever, whoever has gold and jewelry, take it off, and they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came his calf. All right, say it with me. Bless his heart. I mean, that's not even a good effort, I mean, that's just horrible. I threw it in, it came out of calf. I mean, that's, it's like if your kids did that. So the first excuse, let's go back to mama for a minute. Did mama ever say to you, if everybody else was jumping off the bridge, does that mean you had to jump off the bridge? Everybody, anybody ever heard that from mama? Or whatever, it's always jumping off something. Um, jumping off a house, jumping off a roof, you know, always jumping off. If you were jumping off, everybody was jumping off, are you going to jump off? And, and she wasn't worried about me jumping off a roof, she was worried about me following the crowd. That's the first excuse. Are you just going to do it just because everybody else does it? This second excuse is just pathetic. And here's what I've figured out about idols. We will excuse them when we know it's wrong. So we'll excuse it or we'll hide it. And the truth of the matter is this. If I'm hiding it or if I'm excusing it, it's probably an idol and... If I'm hiding it or excusing it, I probably ought not to be doing it. If i got to hide it from somebody. And here's what's super interesting to me. Let's go back just for a second to that verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because the people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. It's not like God doesn't know. You can hide it from everybody. You can be the best hider. You can be the best excuser. You can be awesome at this. You can fool everybody. But God knows. It's not like God didn't know. Moses didn't know. Moses was clueless at this point. Moses goes up on the mountain thinking he's going to come back down and give him the commandments. By the way, while Moses was up there, what was happening was God was giving him the Ten Commandments. He was giving him instruction on how to build a tabernacle, kind of a a mobile worship center. He was giving him uh, instructions on how to worship. He'd already given it to him before, but now he's giving it to him again a second time. He he was going to give him the, the, the Ten Commandments, two plates, you know. So I used to think that was. I used to think there was like one through five on one side on one hand, and you know, six through ten really it not that. Uh, anytime they made a document like that, they made two copies, so all ten were on both. One was for each party, right? Well, Moses got them both because God already knew he's the one that wrote it. He knew the contract. But anyway, here we are, and and God knows, and we hide stuff and we act like God doesn't know. Listen to me, God. If you're hiding it, if you're excusing it. God knows it. You might fool everybody else. And then, and then we excuse it. We, we just, we're just, bless our hearts. We're, we just excuse stuff. And so right now you're probably thinking, okay, okay, what is he talking about? And Maybe in my life it means this, but then we make excuses. Well, I'm just doing it for fun. I can quit anytime I want to. That stupid pastor's not the boss of me. I mean, you were thinking, so these are excuses. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But God knows. So, if this idolatry creeps into our life and it's easy to do, what do you do about it? I'm glad you asked. The antidote to idolatry is to destroy the idol Completely. Look at what happens. Moses approached the camp, saw the calf and the dancing and the wild things that were going on. His anger burned and he took the calf the people had made and he burned it in the fire and he ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. You talk about if you burn it, crush it, and drink it, it is gone. I mean, that is gone, gone. That's immediate, that's complete. He doesn't leave any residue. or he, It's like, it is gone. I, I can't see even the remnant of it anymore. He made sure it was really gone. And please, pardon the visual here. But let me say this. When he made them ingest it, it would eventually come out. It would eventually come out. Are you, are you tracking? Yeah. I mean, have you ever thought about that? I never thought about it until I was looking at this this week. It's like, so if he makes them ingest it, it's going to come out. And I don't know if Moses was trying to give this message, but this is the message. Every God but the true God, the God, is a lesser God. If if you can be flushed out of my system, You're not much of a God. And you know what Moses didn't do? Moses didn't say, all right, let's save this as an example to show you what not to do. No, 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 no. He didn't hide it in the closet. He didn't lock it up. He didn't say, we're going to refer to this every now and then. He burned it, crushed it, and made them drink it. He got rid of it. There is a completeness to this. June 9th will be my 29th wedding anniversary. I have a wife and uh, we've been married 29 years. Her name is Miriam. Miriam and I came to an agreement many, many years ago. Here's what I know about myself, and I think it's probably common for men. Men have an uh, innate desire to feel needed and uh, attractive. And sometimes we go outside of our marriage to find that. We, we just like it. I also know this. My wife has a certain um, intuition um, about these things. Whereas I'm sort of intentionally blind to that because I like the, I like the uh, attention. M- Miriam notices. So many, many years ago, we just came to an agreement. And I said, Miriam, honey, if, if there's ever anything... That's happening that makes you uncomfortable. You tell me. And I will stop. And I'll be polite and kind and I'll try not to hurt anybody's feelings, but this will be it. Because here's what I know. My relationship with God is first. But I never want to do anything that would put a barrier between my wife and me. That's the most important relationship other than my relationship with Christ that I have. It not only affects my wife, it affects my kids, it affects my church. I've not done this perfectly. I, I'm, I'm not saying I've always been perfect at this. I'm not. I I'm not haven't. But I do really good with it now. That's when you see something in your life and you say, I just don't want this. I'm going to immediately, completely, courageously take care of this right now. And I want to end with a text that when you when you feel that you've drifted, maybe you've drifted. You've drifted a little bit. I, I love this promise when Jesus says, I'll never turn anyone away who comes to me all right so you, we drift and then we end it and then we're back in relationship and i've drifted before in my life and then you repent and you end it completely and whatever it is whatever whatever that is whatever it is and you come back you come back and he never turns us away he doesn't say "Man, it's like the 10th time dude it's 10 there's a limit no limit it's limit limitless you, you you've been doing that for six years I, that's too long i can't forgive that doesn't say that you've been doing it 40 years yeah doesn't matter you repent and you, and you come back and he, he said I'll never turn anyone away who comes to me father that's a promise that almost seems too good to be true but you're so good it's not too good to be true Thank you for when you take us back. So today we want to be those people who are wise. We're intelligent. We look at our lives. We assess our life. And if we see there's some drift, then right now we decide, we choose to repent, to end it completely, and to come back, and we embrace your promise that you will never turn us away. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.